Thank you. Good morning, Boker Tov. We continue with our Amuna Shir. We have no sponsor uh, this morning. And so we just thank the Ribbon Shalom for the coffee this morning and the Boker Tov Synagogue. Uh, we are uh, still learning this piece by Revolbe, the great Mashkech of Yerushalayim, or an Ali Shorchelik Beis, Marachas Avodah Musaris, Shar Sheni, Vad Revi'i, page Shin Tes Zion. And we've been discussing uh, Birchas Anenin. Why in an Amunashir are we learning about Birchas Anenin? Because our rabbi saw Birchas Anenin, the fact that we make brachas before we consume food, we make bracha before we imbibe the pleasant fragrance of uh, Besamim. The fact that we make a bracha before we benefit or enjoy from this world is the instruments, the means through which we connect with Hashem. We spent some time where Revolbe encouraged us. I wonder whether everyone, I gave you a break last week, we didn't have shear. So you've had two weeks now to do your homework. Yeah. Anyone remember what the homework was? Yes. The first paragraph of, bir- of benching, of Birchas Amazon. Bechein, Bechesed, Berachamim. Just concentrate with those three words. Hazanas Olam Kulo. Kirsh provides for the entire world. Bechein, Bechesed, Berachamim. And we talked about everything that goes into the apple, the piece of bread, whatever it is that we're about to benefit from. The, the bar, the breakfast bar, whatever we're eating, everything that went into it, the workers, the plowing, the planting, the harvesting, the reaping, the packaging, the trucking, the stocking the shelf, the, the person who checked us out, there were a million steps, that we don't have to work the field, we don't have to break our back, and we don't have to sweat of our brow, we just walk in, we don't have to take out our credit card, you use Apple Pay, you wave your phone, and you walk out with your groceries, and no, you have food to eat. Is there a greater chayin v'chesed v'rachamim? Then last time we met, we began to discuss, which is what we're going to continue right now, that in fact, birchas ananin, when one recites a bracha, when one makes a blessing before they eat, they're then not only engaging the food, encountering the food as a physical material object, they're not only tasting the flavor, the sweetness, the goodness of the food from a physical taste on their palate, but... It is a fulfillment of the Pasuk. Tamuru Kitov Hashem. Remember I told you it was my Bubby's favorite Pasuk. Tamuru Kitov Hashem. Taste and you will see that Hashem is good. Like Coca-Cola, who were confident that if you just take a taste of this syrup and mix it with water, and they built a gazillion dollar company off of giving people free tastes. When you believe in something, you say, come take a free taste. That's how much confidence, that's how much I believe in it. The Rebona Shalom says, Tamuru. We say about Hashem. Tamuru, just taste Hashem, just taste it. Right, this was Labavitcher Rebbe, uh, the campaigns that he ran, including lighting the Shabbos candles Friday night, putting tefillin on men. Just give a taste. Just give a taste. If a woman lights candles Friday night, even if she goes to violate every one of the malachas after that, she doesn't keep one ounce of Shabbos. But Tamuru, just taste. Just a, a little bit. A little bit, light the Shabbos candles. A little bit, put tefillin on. A little bit, you taste and you see Hashem is good. So Revoba quotes from the Mogan Avram in his Zayis Ranan, Zayis Ranan, who says that this is the fulfillment of, of Tamuru'u, is the Birchas Hanenin. Why? Because when you, when you make a bracha and then take a bite out of that apple, if you made a bracha, you taste not only the sweetness of the apple, but you taste the sweetness of Hashem in the apple. We're able to expand our experience of, of uh, pleasure beyond just the palate, beyond just the tongue, the mouth, beyond just the, uh, the stomach, but we're able to taste and experience and feel the goodness of, of Hashem. So we're on the bottom paragraph, page Shin Tes Zayin, and then I read to you at the end of last week how Yamima Mizrahi had expanded in an article that she wrote 
she had expanded this idea of Birchas Hanenin, that everyone benefits from the bracha you make. Quoting the Mesil Sasharim, that it changes the whole environment. That you make a bracha at home, but your son at school remembers an answer on his test, and your husband feels a rush of energy at work, and a car breaks to avoid a child on the street, and that making a bracha has cosmic implications that we don't even always appreciate and realize. We think we're just making the bracha so we can get to the food. So we swallow the bracha fast and then we swallow the food. Because we're just getting it out of the way so that we can indulge in the food. But she reminds us, and based on, on the Nefesh HaChayim, Chaim Velazhner, when you make a bracha, you've changed the entire atmosphere. In the room, literally, the people who hear you make that bracha. Don't snatch a bracha. Don't say it quietly. Say it out loud. Let people answer amen. Let them participate. But it changes the entire atmosphere. You add light to an otherwise dark room in an otherwise dark world, it changes the whole atmosphere. So that's how Revoba ends here. Imagine a person a hundred times a day, a hundred. Ten would be a lot. Ten times ten. A hundred times a day. You make a bracha with kavana. Shahako, Burpriya Eitz, Burpriya Dhamma, Benching Allah Michya, Borinafashos, Asher Yatsar, Asher Yatsar. You make a hundred brachas, Shemona Esrei, three times, you're already well on your way there. A hundred times a day, you're concentrating. Bracha, brecha, Hashem, you are the source of all bracha. This apple, this digestive system, this gift of this cup of coffee, this everything. If you make a bracha, what you really do is stop and practice mindfulness a hundred times a day. It's the big catchphrase of our time. Mindfulness, 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 mindfulness. My friend, Dr. Benji Epstein, just wrote a safer about mindfulness. Jewish view on mindfulness. I forgot what it's called already, but I just picked it up at this farm sale. I haven't read it yet. But mindfulness, the Jewish mindfulness. So this is the catchphrase. How do you find fulfillment, contentment, and happiness? We're living in a time of noise. There's constant noise and buzzing and beeping and vibrating and everything is always going off and distracting us and there's got to be the radio on, the cell phone's ringing, the internet's got the news is on. There's always noise, noise, noise. How can we be mindful? How can we be present? How can we be conscious and conscientious in our lives? So Chazal knew the answer. Before mindfulness was a catchphrase, before psychology and pop psychology caught up with mindfulness, Chazal, our rabbis were already telling us, this is the prescription for happiness, fulfillment, contentment. Ta'amu ru'u kitov Hashem. Taste and you will see Hashem's goodness. And how do we taste and feel Hashem's goodness? Where is He found? Me'a brachos b'chol yom. If you say a hundred brachas a day, a hundred times you interrupted your day. You were at work wheeling and dealing and negotiating a business deal and you thought it was all up to you. You totally forgot about Hashem. Punk, you make a bracha in the middle of the business deal. You need a drink because it got so heated, but you have to make a bracha. I don't care how what a big shot you are in business. You got to make a bracha. So when you make that bracha on the cup of water, you're going to have in the middle of that business deal, all of a sudden you've interrupted and you remember, ah, oh, there's a Hashem. I forgot he's in charge of this business deal. You're at the gym, you're working out, you think your muscles, your health, it's all up to you, and so on and so forth. You, you, drink, you need to drink a water, you've been working out. Punk, you remember, ah, oh, there's a Hashem. You want mindfulness? You want an anchor? You want to calibrate to come back? What's important? A hundred brachas a day. And if you do, kama kedusha, kama emuna, kama karos hayim yamshich al atzmo. How much holiness? How much emuna? How much faith? How much recognition would we have on ourselves to come a year shemayim? Haisa mitosefes lo b'chol yom. How much we would increase our year shemayim? Or is a mamash kilu mekayim kol mitzvos? That was the Magen Avram said. Talmud Kitov Hashem. If you make a hundred brachas a day, it's as if you fulfilled all the mitzvos. Why is it as if you fulfilled all the mitzvos? Is that it? I could violate Shabbos, violate Kashrus, violate everything in the world as long as I make a hundred brachas a day. Is that what the Magen Avram meant? No, of course not. What he meant is.
the whole system of Torah and mitzvos is a platform to recognize, to feel the presence, to feel a closeness and intimacy with Hashem. So another way of feeling that in our lives is a hundred brachas a day. What the mitzvahs are all designed to implement, to generate, to have us feel, a hundred brachas a day could have us feel. Interrupt from when you wake up in the morning till you fall asleep at night. Interrupt your day a hundred times. A hundred times. And you will feel Hashem's presence in your life. Such holiness, such gratitude, such faith. So Ravoba says, let's try this. We've got to put it into practice. Next food you're eating, some of you are drinking coffee, you have water, you already made a bracha, hopefully on that. The next thing that you're going to eat or drink and make a bracha on, taste not only the food you're going to eat, make the mindful, make the intentional attempt to taste spiritually. Tam ruchni bepri. A spiritual taste, a spiritual sweetness in the fruit. Like anything worthy in life, says Ravol, but this takes training. It takes practice. Anything valuable in life, you don't pick up in a second. It takes practice, it takes training, you have to create habits. Create the habit to actually concentrate. First of all, create the habit to say a bracha. A lot of people don't say brachas. It takes a milliseconds to say a bracha. It's a mitzvah. It's a halacha. If you don't say a bracha, you're a thief. You're a robber. You've stolen. You cannot hold yourself out to be a moral, ethical person if you don't make brachas. You've stolen from God. It belongs to God. And the currency with which we pay Him is a bracha. So make a bracha. Otherwise, you're a thief. You're not an ethical, moral person. That's not to suggest that the atheist is by definition immoral and unethical, but it means that from our perspective of believing of a world that belongs to God, one who takes from it without first saying please and thank you, has stolen. You're a thief. You're a thief. That's what's at stake if you neglect to make a bracha, is that you're not moral or ethical like you think you are. You're a thief. So make a bracha, number one. And number two, concentrate. Learn the habit. One should practice. Practice concentrating because when we do everything will taste better. You won't just be tasting and extracting the physical pleasant taste. You'll be tapping into the spiritual pleasant taste. Tamuru of everything that you taste as well. Being involved in this question takes us from one deep thing to another. And now we get to another idea. says, Revolba, a very, very deep idea that's buried in the concept of making brachas, of birchas hanehenen. The Ramban says in Parshish Kedoshim, a person who gives their child over to idolatry, it says they, they contaminate God's holiness. So what does it mean to contaminate God's holiness? Is that to contaminate God's holy place? To contaminate God's holy objects? Says the Ramban, it means to contaminate that which is holiest to God, and what's holiest to God? Us, the Jewish people. Knesset Yisrael. We just read this, Parshish Truma, Tetzava, now we're up to Kisisa. But we read the whole Mishkan is, V'shechanti b'socham, bilvavi Mishkan Evne. In my heart, I will build a sanctuary, a tabernacle for you, God. We go to holy places in order to stimulate the holiness within us, in order to promote, in order to generate, 
in order to build, in order to reinforce the holiness in us, to spark the holiness in us. But the real holiness is where? It's in us. The other holiness is superimposed. So you have bricks and mortar and you combine it to be a building and you throw in a Sefer Torah, hopefully you place the Sefer Torah, and now it's holy because it's a sanctuary. But the holiness doesn't come from the bricks and the mortar. It comes from the intention and the purpose that we designated it. The same is true, by the way, when it comes to a Sefer Torah itself. I get the question at least once a year. Missionaries come around our neighborhood. I don't know why we didn't uh, come back to them that this is not a very uh, profitable neighborhood to spend your time. <laughs> Missionaries come around the neighborhood and uh, some people will they'll knock on the door and they'll engage you. But other times you open up your mailbox and you find a Bible. Nobody's had that? I get the question once. They want to know, what do I do with it? It looks exactly like our Chumash, Lahavdil. If you read it, it's the same text. Similar text, same text. So what do I do with it? I say, you know what you do with it? Right in the garbage. Right in the garbage. If a, if a heretic, if somebody who believed in Jews for Jesus, a Messianic Jew, they might be the most magnificent scribe who writes the most beautiful font of a Sefer Torah, the perfect ink and, ink and the perfect parchment, and it meets all the rules and regulations of writing a Sefer Torah. And they give you that Sefer Torah. You know what you do with it? Right in the garbage. A Sefer Torah, ink and parchment, the same exact words. He writes it with intent, and it looks just like a legitimate Sefer Torah. What do you do with it? Shulchan Aruch. This is not me. Shulchan Aruch says, right in the garbage. Why? Because the physical objects of our world don't have inherent holiness. We endow them, we imbue them with holiness based on the intent that we offer them. So when a person writes a Sefer Torah, first of all, they have to say, L'shem, they have to say, L'shma. It has to be written for the right intent. Just like when you tie tzitzis, when you make tefillin, it has to be done for the right intent. If it's done for the wrong intent, a person who believes in idolatry and paganism, a person does it for the wrong intent, not only is it not holy, it is completely mundane. It has zero holiness. It goes in the garbage. In the garbage. In the garbage. This relates to our Parsha, by the way. In this week's Parsha, the whole Chet Ego, the sin of the golden calf, the Kuzari. I always say over this Kuzari because to me this is the most meaningful interpretation of what's happening. The Ramban also seems to sound like it in the Beis Levi. The Kuzari says the Jewish people needed a physical means through which to connect to God. You can't connect with God through the five senses. You can't see Him, hear Him, feel Him, touch Him, smell Him. So how do we know He's there? How do we connect with Him? How do we relate and identify with Him? So we need a physical medium. So Moshe served that purpose until they miscalculated and it seemed like He wasn't coming back down from the mountain. And they panicked. Where would they, through what would they connect with Hashem? So they built an ego, not as a way of, not as a way of leaving Hashem, but in an effort to come closer to Him, they built their own physical mechanism. And Hashem's response is, that's a legitimate need, but you can't do it your way, you got to do it my way. So what does He give us instead? The Mishkan. He gives us the Mishkan. I, I want to say pshat, that that's maybe why in our Pasha, when Moshe appeals to God to forgive them for the Egel, he says, Forgive them, and if not, erase me from your book. If not, erase me from your book. Why does Moshe erase me from your book? Well, he's a martyr for the Jewish people. Erase me from your book. What kind of threat is this to Hashem? First of all, Hashem called Moshe's bluff, and he did erase him from the book. Where did he erase him from the book? Last week's parsha, Tetzava, 
at least on the surface, Moshe's name does not appear. Don't, don't, quote, don't threaten Hashem. He will call your bluff. That's why some say, Asher Kasavta. Erase him from the book that you wrote in the past tense. That's why Hashem erases him from the last week's parsha, which was Tetzava. Others say, Mechenina misifrecha asher kasavta, misifrecha misefer chaf. Tetzava is the 20th parsha. Erase me from misifrecha, misefrecha, from your 20th book. The 20th parsha is Parsha's Tetzava. What was Moshe threatening God? Either forgive them or erase me from your book. So I think what Moshe perhaps was saying was, forgive them because they have a need for something physical. If not, erase me from your book means erase me. I was that physical means. I was that way that they connected. I was what they were craving. I was why they panicked. So we can't... Mori Varabi, my Rebbe of Shechter, he says, you know, you have this phenomenon in a lot of shuls that everyone wants to say for Torah to go to the bima on a route where everyone can kiss it and touch it and the men and the women and everyone needs to kiss the Torah. And he says, you know, we have to be careful not to turn the Torah into an egel. The Torah is a means to connect with Hashem. It's not an ends unto itself. So we serve the Torah. The Torah doesn't serve us. The Torah is supposed to take the most direct route to the bima, not go on a detour. It doesn't go on a tour, for a kissing tour, for everybody to be able to kiss it. You want to kiss the Torah, make your way to where the Torah is. So the Torah doesn't need to kiss. It's a good question. It's a practice that we inherited. It should. I'll tell you why. Because of what Rav Shecht is warning. If I, would, if I would announce tomorrow that beginning effective immediately, the Torah is going to go directly to the Bima and not go along the Machitzas, you tell me what my email inbox would look like. <laughs> so, but, that's a, but it's a mistake. 90% of the men don't get to kiss the Torah. So if the women didn't kiss the Torah, 90% of the men don't kiss the Torah. It's not so geferlach. It's not, it's not an object that we, we, we cherish. It's an object of affection. We touch a mezuzah when we walk in a room. The Gemara quotes from the story of Unclus. Gemara doesn't say you kiss the mezuzah, it says you touch the mezuzah. We expand on it, we kiss the mezuzah. So it's an, it's an act of affection, it's a beautiful act of affection. But we have to be careful not to turn our objects into holy alternatives to the real source or destination of our worship, which should be the Rebona Shalom, it should be Hashem. You can't turn the Sefer Torah into a Chaita Ego. So why am I sharing all of this with you? It's an excellent question, and I'm going to remember in one moment why. Oh, that's why. Because Rashi is quoting on this uh, story of Molech, when it says, you will contaminate that which is holy to me. And Rashi says, whom is God describing as that which is holy to me? The Jewish people. Because the only ones who are inherently holy are us. Are we the Jewish people? And why are we inherently holy? What do we have that no other object in the world has? We have Tzalem Elohim. We have a piece of God inside us. We have an Ashama, which is a Chilak Elokami Ma'al Mamish. We have a neshama which comes from God. Literally is an extension, is a piece of Hashem. Hey, come sit here. We did the panel together. It was so much fun on the cruise. Come. We could do a panel discussion on Emunah. So, so, uh, so the only thing that really is a piece of God, inherently, intrinsically, is us. Everything else that we ascribe with holiness, Torah, Mezuzah, Tefillin, it's holy because of the intent of the person who produced it. But the only thing that can generate holiness is the intent that we have. If a person had the wrong intent, those tefillin go in the garbage. It's not that, oh, you know, you shouldn't wear them, it's not a mitzvah, but dispose of them respectfully. Garbage, garbage. The, gemara, the, the tefillin, the Sefer Torah, Mezuzah, written by a heretic, Shulchan Aruch says, has no value. Because what gives value, what gives holiness, we do. So therefore, Bilvavi Mishkan Evne, we concede and we forfeit the place and the source of true holiness, which is us and our lives, in our rush. So, 
you know how it, it's so frustrating? You see this. You see people who in the shul are the holiest people. They, they want the shul to be holy. Their lives outside of shul don't have to be holy. I have people who offer me suggestions and criticism and feedback about what we're not doing that's holy enough in shul, the things we need to change to be holier in shul. And outside of shul, they're living entire unholy lives. Holy, unholy lives. W-H, holy, unholy lives. Outside of shul. And they've got it entirely backwards. The shul doesn't need you to ensure its holiness. The shul doesn't need to get into shamayim. Now, of course, the way we conduct ourselves at shul is a reflection of us. And we've been working on our campaign about not talking. And we need to have a campaign about finding people that their cell phones go off. And we need to work on how we dress in shul and how we conduct ourselves in shul and the things we talk about in shul and so on. The shul is a holy place and we have to treat it with reverence and with holiness. But we do that to inspire and motivate us so that when we leave shul, we take the charge. We take that energy with us into the rest of what we do. The shul's holiness is because of what we do there and the intent we bring there. So to say, I'm going to make shul holy, and then when I leave shul, I go to business and I'm ruthless. I'm a ruthless competitor. I, go to, I leave shul, I dress however I want, I look at whatever I want, I eat whatever I want, I go wherever I want, I do whatever I want, I joke however I want, I use whatever language I want. Ah, the shul, the rabbi, is not holy enough rabbi, you're doing this wrong, that wrong, the other thing wrong. The shul has to be so holy. But then in my own, in my own life, what is that? The shul. I protect the shul. Shul doesn't need your protection. Bilvavi Mishkan Evna, holiness is our heart. It's our holy intentions that are what empower holiness, generate holiness onto other things. Okay, all that was from Rashi. So says the Ramban, how is it that the whole Jewish people can compromise their holiness just by the actions of one person who makes a mistake? Who does something wrong? So the Ramban answer is based on a medrash. The medrash says, we've until now discussed that if you eat something without making a bracha, you're a no good rotten thief. You've stolen from the Rebono Shalom. Ah, you think you worked hard, you earned money, you went to public, so you paid for it. You have the receipt. You kept the receipt. There's a guy in the shul who I'm good friends with and love to joke with, and he's neurotic about security and these kinds of issues. He always tells me, and we, I don't, we once went somewhere together and I bought something at a gas station and I threw the receipt in the garbage and told him, hold the receipt. And he said, What are you, you crazy? I said, why, why do I need that receipt? What if in the parking lot they cost you and they say you stole that water, that Snapple, you need to be able to produce the receipt and show you didn't. So I'll take that risk with the, the, chances, of, the chances of that happening, right? So, so until now we spoke about you're stealing from God. But says the Medrash, if you enjoy and benefit from this world without making a bracha, you've stolen not only God from God, you've stolen from your fellow Jews. You've stolen from the Jewish people. So this is an incredible Ramban. Forget how he is applying this to Molech, to this notion of sacrificing your child, but the Ramban is saying the following incredible insight. He says, when you don't make a bracha, when you swallowed that bracha without thinking about it, when you made the bracha to yourself, so you didn't bring it out into the air, you didn't cleanse the air. You didn't uh, 
enable other people to answer Amen. You've stolen not only from Hashem, you've stolen from your fellow Jews. How have you stolen from your fellow Jews? What do you owe them about that apple? You paid for the apple at Publix. Maybe you grew the apple in your backyard and plucked it from the apple tree. And now you failed to make a bracha to Hashem. So, okay, you did that to Hashem. What have you done to your fellow Jew? How does that impact your fellow Jew? So Revolba is going to say exactly this. What you did to your fellow Jew is that when you make a birchas hanehenin, you're not the only beneficiary. You've changed the atmosphere. You've cleansed the world. The world is contaminated with all kinds of darkness and impure thoughts. We had a fly-in last week to New York. We took a chevra of men. And in two days, we heard from 12 speakers and 12 yeshivas. We went all over the New York area. One of those days, fighting the snow and the sleet and everything else, which was miserable. It was a great reminder. We should make a bracha when we land in Florida. <laughs> bracha for them. Say Hagomel first of all, You should make several brachas. Ashiyatzar. You should make several brachas coming back from from uh, from that area. So anyway, one of the uh, great uh, great people that we met with was Rav Avram Shore, who's the Rav of Nezer Gedalyahu, a shul in Brooklyn. He's the son of Rav Gedalya Shore, the Or Gedalyahu. He himself is an author of many many svarim called Alakach Alibov. He's a very very holy Jew, a very um, very strong. Very strong. He, he has eyes. I've never seen eyes like this. They could bore a hole in the back of your head. His eyes are piercing. So we sat with him in the basement of a shul, his office, and just our chevra sitting around his desk. And first he gave us a schmooze, and then he opened the floor to questions, and there was a whole discussion. And one of the things he mentioned, why am I raising this? One of the things that he mentioned was the power of not only learning Torah every day, but when we choose to learn every day. And he was encouraging this chevra of men to learn early in the morning, rather than late at night. And the reason, he said, is the air is cleaner in the morning than it is at night. And what did he mean? He said, late at night, late at night, even deep into the night, one, two in the morning, the nightclubs are open, and the activities, nefarious activities, and uh, activities that are inconsistent with holiness are going on in the world, and the air is contaminated. The atmosphere is contaminated. When you wake up first thing in the morning, the chevra who were doing all those things late at night, now they've passed out, now they're fast asleep. Even, uh, you know, by, by five, six o'clock in the morning, that's when the air is pure. So he said, not only do you have the most energy, do you have the most clarity of thought, not only is it the right way to start the day, he was giving all of the reasons. But he said from a sort of mystical perspective of the world, which is where he lives, the mystical perspective of the world, the air is clearer, it's lighter. Your, your, your positive Torah thoughts and the light of Torah doesn't have to navigate and find its way through the darkness and the contamination in the environment and in the atmosphere. Do you not know what that means exactly? I don't know that I know exactly what that means, but I know that it spoke to me. I know there's something powerful. I know that there are Jews alive who can still see in the air contamination. And I don't just mean, you know, global warming and uh, whatever contamination. You know, there's that whole discussion. Is, is global warming uh, our greatest threat? So Rav Avram Shor would say, there's the, the, the spiritual global warming, the contamination spiritually in the air is our greatest threat. So that's what the Ramban is saying here. What the Ramban is saying is that if you ate something and you didn't make a bracha, you didn't contribute to cleaning the air. You didn't contribute to the atmosphere and the environment the way you could have. Your bracha brought out into the world would have brought more light down. We said it's all about intent. Holiness is the result of the intent we bring the world. So if we had a holy intent for Hashem to reside here in the, in the world, that holy intent would have brought Hashem down. Hashem's presence would change the atmosphere. Holiness, godliness would change the atmosphere.
you didn't make a bracha, or you swallowed the bracha, or you said the bracha silently to yourself, you didn't contribute what you could have in order to bring Hashem's presence, in order to cleanse the atmosphere. So he now is going to go into this Ramban. Does not need our bracha. God is not waiting. He doesn't line up. He doesn't need us to say bracha vatzlacha to him. Hashem is perfect, omnipotent, omniscient, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing. He does not need our bracha. However, he did set up the world where he put the power in our hands to expand his presence in this world. He doesn't need our bracha, but he needs us to be the conduit through which he has expression in this world. And that's what we say in Tehillim. It is aleinu, it's on us. Give might, give power, give expression to God. Why is David HaMelech and Tehillim calling on us to give might, to give expression, to give power to God? Let God, He has all the power. We're powerless. He's all powerful. So isn't it backwards? Why is David HaMelech calling on us to give power? So says Ravoba, Ki bezal Yisrael gav it's true God's power is in the heavens, but he withdrew and constricted himself to enable and empower us down here on earth to give him expression. When we make a bracha, we say thank God and please God and with God's help and we recognize and show appreciation to God and we turn and long and have our hope for God and when we sit because we're conflicted and not sure what to do, we say let's pray on it. Let's ask God to give us some insight. Let's ask God to help us come to an understanding. When we make a window and opening, last night we spoke with the Sachet Shavu Rebbe of David Bornstein, Hashem Yikom Damo, the third Sachet Shavu Rebbe, he was a great-grandson of Kotsk, of the Kotzker Rebbe. The first Sachet Shavu Rebbe was the son-in-law of the Kotzker. So we spoke about Kotzk as a background to Sachet Shav. So the Kotzker Rebbe famously said, he was a little boy when he first said it, he was asked as a little boy, somebody pinched his cheek and said, little Kotzker, they didn't call him the Kotzker then. He was of Menachem... Rav Menachem Mendel Morgenstern. If you know a Morgenstern, they likely descend from... I have a colleague and friend, Rabbi Jonathan Morgenstern. His email address is Kutzker. He's, he's a descendant of the Kutzker. If you're a Morgenstern, you're a descendant of the Kutzker. So the Kutzker Rebbe was asked as a little boy. They pinched his cheeks. They said, where can Hashem be found? Basically, have you listened to Uncle Moshi? Where can you find Hashem? And what did the Kutzker answer? Wherever you let him in. Wherever you let him in. Hashem relies on us to let him in meaning he fills the entire world. He's everywhere. But you have to put on the special glasses to see him. So on the one hand, he's everywhere. But you have to be wearing the glasses to see him. So we put the glasses on the world. We are the ones who, by talking about Hashem, bring him down to this world. This is our work, and through that will be our merit. Our mission is to walk around and be walking Kiddush Hashem, to be Marbek Fod Shemaim. In the supermarket, at the gym, at work, in our homes, with all with whom we interact, to talk about God. To talk about Hamanti ki adaber. People believe in God ki adaber because we speak about Him. So there's no adaber, there's no speaking about Him more than making a bracha. Here's the homework for next week. Not that you ever do my homework. If you were really, if this were really a class, you'd all be failing out. So here's the homework for next week. We're not finishing, but we can finish. What time is it? Here's the homework for next week. The homework for next week is make every bracha out loud. I don't care if you're by yourself in a room, you'll change the whole atmosphere of the room if you make a bracha out loud. You can't be 
you're watching something inappropriate, but you want to drink, so you make a bracha, you're going to turn it off. You can't continue. You've, you've changed the holiness, the atmosphere in the room. You've just invoked God. You put him in the room. He's now sitting next to you. You're going to watch that schmutz with him sitting next to you. It changes the atmosphere in the room. When you're by yourself, make a bracha out loud. You're around your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your great nephew. Make a bracha out loud. And here's the real homework. When you're with someone with whom it will be uncomfortable, interrupt and make a bracha out loud. Don't put your hand over your mouth and mumble while you take the drink because you're meeting a friend who's not religious for coffee. You're in a business setting. You're at the gym. You stop and you interrupt and you say, could you give me just one second? I want to drink this, but I want to thank God for the privilege of having this coffee with you. It's so nice to be with you and this coffee is so delicious and I'm so grateful for it. Could you give me a millisecond to thank God? Make a bracha out loud. I will bet you my life savings. <laughs> it's okay if I, I will bet you my half of our life savings. Is that okay? I'll bet you my half of our life savings that the person not only will not be weirded out, freaked out, bugging out, the person will not only not be turned off, the person will be impressed. And they'll say, wow. They may be an atheist, an agnostic, they may not believe in God, they're going to say, Wow. For this coffee, you know, I never really thought about what goes into a coffee or how, how grateful we should be for having this coffee. So that's your homework for next week. Make every bracha out loud, not when it's easy when you're alone, not when it's easy when there are people around you who are running to answer amen, but make every bracha out loud even when it means saying to someone, could you give me half a second? I'm so excited to be able to be with you and enjoy this. I just need to say a blessing before we, before we continue. And you'll see your life will change. You'll see your life will change. Because not only will you change for yourself, tamuru'u, that lunch, that coffee will be more delicious than any other coffee. Tamu, just taste. You know why? Because the coffee now, remember we just said, we ascribe holiness. So whether it's ink and a parchment and a Sefer Torah, which if a min, a heretic, wrote it, you throw it in the garbage. But if a holy scribe wrote it, you have to fast if you drop it on the floor. So the same is true with your apple or cup of coffee. If you ignore it and you don't make a bracha, it's just an apple. It's just a cup of coffee. But if you ascribe your intent, your holiness, you've transformed the apple, you've transformed the cup of coffee, tamuru, you're not only going to taste the sweetness of the apple, you're not only going to taste the caffeine jolt of the coffee, but tamuru, you're going to taste kitov Hashem. Make a hundred brachas a day and you're going to taste kitov Hashem. If a hundred times in your day you interrupt to say thank you, you think at the end of that day you're not going to appreciate, wow, I have a hundred reasons a day to say thank you. No matter how many reasons a day I have to complain and be fabissant and miserable and resentful and bitter, but I have a hundred times a day to say thank you. I have a hundred times a day that I'm blessed. You think at the end of that day you're not going to see Kitov Hashem? Tamuru'u. When you're tasting the food, taste it by making a bracha, spiritually taste it, and the result, the consequence will be, kitov Hashem. You'll see that Hashem is good. Aleinu, that's on us. Kach rotza HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Zawi Avadoseinu v'zei yescharin. Rabbi Shmo ben Alisha, kenira koin gadol achron lefnei achurban. Nechnas biyom ha-kipurim lefnei v'lefnim. Oh, when Rabbi Shmo ben Alisha was the last koin gadol, before the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And he entered the Beis HaMikdash, and he went into the Holy of Holies. And God, Kiviyachol, spoke to Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha, this kind Gadol, in the Holy of Holies. And what did he say? I'm not going to sing it for you, but Avram Fried does. Yishmol b'ni barcheni. V'hu nasan bracha. U'mishan anu lomdim shlotei birchas hedyo kala be'inecha. What is... Yishmol ben Elisha walks into the Holy of Holies. He has access to God in a greater way than any other human being. Nobody else is allowed to go in there. 
And what does God say to him? He says, I need you to do something for me. What does he need Yishmael ben Elisha to do for him? Barcheni, give me a bracha. And in fact, he gives him a bracha. What bracha does God need? Nachas, gezunt, parnasa. What bracha are you giving God that God needs? So if you look at that Gemara, Brachos Dav Zayin, they had a learnathon on Sunday. I forgot which organization, maybe a time. Somebody had a learnathon. So in the front row of the learnathon, it was a group of men in a room finishing Shas together in one day, dividing Shas and finishing Shas in one day. So in the front row were Mordechai ben David and Avram Fried sitting next to each other. So somebody took the picture and put, you know, like the blurb, like a cartoon that shows you what they're saying. So they had Mordechai ben David saying, as if he was learning the words of one of his famous songs, and they had. Mm-hmm. Avram Fried learning the words of his famous song. I think it might have been this. And so, what is it that Hashem needs a bracha for? Parcheni, Hashem says, give me a bracha. Nachas, gezun, parnasa. You know what Hashem needs a bracha for? Give me a bracha that I find expression in this world. That people see me. That I have a dira betachtonim. Give me a bracha that people have intent and endow and imbue my presence in all that they are doing. Give me that bracha. And from here we learn, Lote birchas hegel kala be'enecha, don't take the bracha of anyone for granted. Even Hashem, the Almighty, the Infinite God, wants a bracha from a lowly, finite human being. And we too shouldn't dismiss the bracha of anybody. We line up to go to Holy Rebbe's, Holy Talmidei Chacham, Gidole Ador to get a bracha. You know what? Your Stam neighbor gives you a bracha. The Stam person you know gives you a bracha. No one should take any of those brachos lightly. Stam, So again, we see this notion giving you homework. Your homework is compounding, by the way. You can't, you still have to say the first paragraph of benching. Now you have multiple pieces of homework. So, Birchas Hanenen. This is the measure. Meya. What does Hashem want from us? A hundred times a day to taste His presence, to, to cleanse His air, to have intent and mindfulness, which gives Him expression down here in this world. So your homework, make every bracha out loud. Let other people answer amen. Let those who've never seen anyone say thank you to God for something they're going to eat, let them see that. And then you've given Hashem the greatest bracha that you can.